Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and joining me this week, by phone all the way from his home in California, is Seth Zavi Rosenfeld, whose play, Downtown Race Riot, directed by Scott Elliott, is playing in a new group production at the Pershing Square Signature Center. Hello, Seth Zavi Rosenfeld. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to ask you to tell our listeners what Downtown Race Riot is about. A uh, Downtown Race Riot is about... Uh, well, the background of it is is an incident that happened in New York City in 1976 in which there was a, a race riot in Washington Square Park in Greenwich Village, New York. And the play itself takes place in the home of uh, Peanut and his mother Mary and his sister Joyce on the day of the riot. And the play in, is about his decision whether or not he's going to go to the right participate, it's about uh, whether or not he can rescue his friend, his best friend, mm-hmm. or his mother. And he's faced with this sort of dilemma, and um, you know, not to sort of give away the entire plot, but on another level, it's a, it's about the cost of of being part of a tribe. It's it's about tribalism. It's about uh, how one betrays themselves to be part of or the ways that people betray themselves to be part of uh, a tribe or a group as it were. What gave you the idea to write this play? I know it's based on a real event but what made you want to write about that event? Well when I was growing up in junior high school in New York City there were some good schools and public schools and there were some bad schools Hmm. and the schools in my neighborhood where I lived were bad and so many of the kids who could were going down to Greenwich Village to go to junior high school down there. I was not among them, but some of my good friends were. And because they started to hang out in Greenwich Village, and and I started to hang out with them down there. And when I was down there, I met a whole group of people, which, you know, a large variety of people, but some of whom were these kind of working class Irish and Italian kids whose families had lived in Greenwich Village for, for generations. And, uh, you know, sort of moved there when the dock, you know, to work on the docks, really. And Greenwich Village at that time was teeming with bohemians and it was the center of gay rights and, and interracial love. And it was really the freest place in the city. What and period are we were, talking about? What what years? About the, the mid seventies, seventy six. Mm-hmm. This was nineteen seventy six, seventy five, and this and this group of kids came from sort of working class conservative Catholic families, and there was tension between them and others, particularly some of the black drug dealers who hung out in Washington Square Park, and uh, and it boiled over on this one day, and and I knew peripherally some of the kids who had been involved in the riot. And it haunted me that this riot happened not in kind of Howard Beach or Bensonhurst or one of these traditionally 
white neighborhoods. It happened in Greenwich Village, which right. was the place where people went to be free. And so uh, I moved to Los Angeles in 2010 and to really not write plays, but to write television and movies. But one day in 2011, I woke up thinking about this incident and it, it, it just wouldn't leave me alone. And it felt to me like maybe I was pregnant with a play. And, uh, and I started to write about it and it started to form itself very quickly. And, and before I knew it, I had a new play. And uh, so we developed it at New York Stage and Film in, at Vassar in the summer of 2013. And it was, uh, it was great, Scott Elliott and myself. And um, Who's the director? And with, he's the, yeah, Scott is the director. And with the idea that we would, you know, keep developing and keep working on it. And when both of us, when the, the sort of the scheduling worked out, we would put it on at the new group. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, between other things, we, we just kept working on this. And we, at some point, I think it was around 2015 or so, we felt we had cracked it sufficiently that we should try and get it on. And then, you know, the economics of even doing off-Broadway right now are such that we needed to find somebody who could be in the play who was uh, um, a name that could draw an audience. And we wound up, you know, uh, we, we wound up with a list of actors that, that casting directors and our agents had provided us with and Chloe Sevigny, was the one who both of us felt was the best fit for the part. And she wanted to, she read it immediately and immediately wanted to do it. And then it became about, you know, uh, when, and, uh, and so here we are. That's kind of how it all happened. Right. She plays the part of the mother. Yeah. Did her role change once she came aboard? No, I mean, not, no, it didn't change. I, I, there's one scene that I wrote between her and the character of Massive, or Marcel, that is a brand new scene that didn't exist before she was in the play. But it, but it wasn't so much about her being in that part as much as it, I felt it would be interesting to have a scene between those two characters. There, there are several sort of smaller stories go- going on within the larger story about what happens with the race riot because there's the story between Marcel or Massive who's the Haitian American friend of uh, of Peanut and Mm -hmm. their relationship there's Peanut's relationship with his mother who is sort of a free spirit but also a drug addict and then there's the relationship between Marcel and Peanut's sister who right. also is doing some exploring of of her own, and I'm wondering: were all of these stories all part of the initial uh, idea? Basically, I'm asking how the the play evolved as you and and Scott worked on it. Well, there was a couple of sort of sub themes that we started to play around with. One of them was the idea you know, of people exploring their identities or mm-hmm. or what it means to be identified with a group. And in terms of Marcel, you know, you have a, a character who's Haitian but also black and he's participating 
in a race riot that is aimed at people who look like him. Right. And that to me was, it, it, it was part of the initial riot. There was a character, not who was Haitian, but there was one guy who was black in the, in the Washington Square riot who participated on the white side of the riot. Hmm. And, I, and I thought to myself, you know, things are way more nuanced than, than the conversations that are out in the world. Yes, and in, and in reality, there is a, there are a lot of gray areas, even in a, even in as something as as uh, seemingly not gray as a race riot, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought to myself, what, well, it would be interesting to kind of explore what makes a what what would make a a person do that, you know. And uh, you know, with the character of Joyce, her her identity or her sexual identity. Um, is something that she is trying to figure out, and um, Joyce is the sister. Joyce is the sister, and she is the only character who has it in her mind that the system that she's living in, or that she's been brought up in, or a part of the family system, the neighborhood system, is none of it fits right for her, mm-hmm. and 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 she is going to get out and but she has a I think what evolved was well she has a plan for getting out but there's a couple of things she wants to accomplish before she leaves and one of those things is pursuing a, um, a sexual relationship with Marcel who's somebody who's male but somebody she feels safe with in life so that's sort of how that that part of the story mm-hmm. evolved. In terms of Peanut and his mom, you know, Peanut, Peanut is a character who at his core is somebody who feels that he's capable of protecting and rescuing other people. So in terms of his mother, who's a drug addict, you know, he's very involved in making sure she's safe out in the street or that people in the neighborhood are looking after her or that he is stopping her from going too far because his ultimate fear is, you know, losing her. Um, and um, in terms of his friend Marcel, he is also protective over him and wants him not to be part of the riot and feels that he can control. I think ultimately Peanut's a character who actually believes that he can control events and people. And his journey is one his discovery is that actually he can't control much at all i found mary the mother to be a really interesting character very complex because on the one hand she is a drug addict but on the other she does seem to care about her children and i found this particularly interesting right now when we're in the midst of an opioid crisis where right. uh, a lot of women who are similar to mary uh, are mm-hmm. going through uh, this experience and, and and so i'm interested in her uh, genesis for you well part of it was that um the generation before me in the 50s and the 60s in new york city there was a plague of heroin, uh, you know, e- even plaguing, you know, all the people, people coming back from Vietnam. But before that, 
you know, it sort of came out of the whole jazz beatnik thing. There was there was just a, a ton of heroin addicts in New York City. And um, my generation saw those people. You know, we'd be on the subway and we'd see these guys with swollen hands and sores and really just horrible looking heroin addicts, uh, you know, were around a lot when I was growing up. I knew people, and especially older people who had been addicts, but there was also something that I saw in a lot of addicts, particularly ones who had battled with addiction, that they had some insight or some wisdom about life that seemed to be, they had explored parts of themselves that people who had lived safer lives hadn't. And there was some some lived kind of street corner philosopher stuff that I witnessed as a kid that I actually got a lot out of. And I thought it would be interesting to have a character who had some of that, who had a philosophy about life, who had an outlook about life, but was also plagued with addiction. And depending upon how active her addiction was or how sick she was, she could betray, you know, not only her principles, but her kids, who she loved dearly. Mm-hmm. And the ability to to kind of show both sides of that is something that I, you know, worked, you know, both Scott and I worked um, hard on, you know, not to make her better than a character like her would be, mm-hmm. but also to give her dimension so that she's not just one thing. She really, to me, was a portrait of, of the kind of person I, I saw back then. You grew up in uh, the New York City of the Ford to New York City drop dead era when the city was really, right. <laughs> really troubled right. and so on. And there seems to be a lot of looking back at that period. On on TV, we've had uh, the series The Deuce, Vinyl, The Get Down. And I'm, I'm just wondering, what do you think has created such a nostalgia for that very difficult and and much grittier New York than the one we have now? Well, I mean, along with the feeling that it was gritty and and somewhat dangerous, it was an adventure. You know, it was, I had the experience when I was back in New York City of walking in Central Park, which is a park I spent a lot of time in as a kid. And, you know, if you there are these paths now that are gated off, so it's almost like you're prohibited from walking. You have to walk on the path. You can't walk on the green at all. And when I was a kid, you know, Central Park being a metaphor, it was just a wild place. It was a place that when I was growing up, we used to, there's a swimming pool on 110th Street, and in the summertime, we would sneak in there at night, like at midnight, and go swimming. And it would be sometimes 100 kids in there, uh, if you could imagine that with music, uh, swimming unsupervised in Central Park, you know, the, the idea that something like that could exist now, you know, is ludicrous. And so there was a freedom about the city back then because uh, it was largely unsupervised. It was also a place that was inexpensive to live. You know, anybody with means 
was moving out to the suburbs, you know. And so there was this feeling that, like, if you were an artist or you're a creative person or had any idea at all, you could get an inexpensive place in almost any neighborhood in New York and exist, you know. So, it, you know, in the neighborhood, you know, where I grew up, you know, in, the butcher lived there, you know, the, the cop lived there, the teach, school teacher lived there, the, um, the people on welfare lived there. Like, it was a, 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 a very mixed, open feeling. So there wasn't, there wasn't this feeling of, like, this is out of reach for me, which right. I think in New York, there are so many people who feel that way, you know, that, you know, people are struggling hold on to their rent-stabilized apartments or whatever they might be because they know if they move out, they they may not be able to stay in New York. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, What part of um, New York did you grow up in? I grew up uh, between the Bronx and the Upper West Side. And um, we, my family moved in 1967 to uh, Mitch Housing, which is sort of a brand new, brand new housing. We moved, it was five of us. We moved from a one-bedroom apartment in the Bronx to a four-bedroom apartment uh, on Amsterdam Avenue, and uh, they had built this, you know, this kind of subsidized housing for lower-middle-class people to help stabilize that neighborhood because there was a fear at that time that uh, the entire West Side, you know, that that Hell's Kitchen would come up uptown and Harlem was coming downtown and the entire uh, West Side would become one giant ghetto. And um, we, were, we were happy to move to a neighborhood that some considered dangerous at the time because we would have more space and it would be affordable. A very so different that, time. A very different yeah. time. I want to move yeah. back to, to, to the play with just a couple of more questions. Um, so many of the characters, as a matter of fact, all of the characters except Mary and a lawyer who comes in later. All of, mm-hmm. of the characters are young people, and yet right. these are complex roles. How difficult was it to find the actors that you guys needed to bring these people to life on stage? I mean, we found all of them through auditions, and it was not easy. You know, and, and there was a lot of back and forth between Scott and myself about, you know, what we were looking for and who we might cast. And, and I was, you know, looking for authenticity as I remembered it. One of the interesting things about the actors, pretty much all of them, is that kids aren't as angry these days as we were. Right. And they're not as conflict-oriented as we were. So there was, you know, a period of time when we were really pushing the, you know, pushing the young people in the play to kind of amp up find to find the rage in themselves you know as as when i was growing up that wasn't something that was so hard to find in kids because, <laughs> you know and so um but they have you know they've done a great job of kind of i mean they're 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 a great group they've become a real ensemble there is nobody in the cast who feels the play is about them and that's rare to, i mean that that kind of experience is is rare to find. There's just um, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of joy in this process. Nice. 
Um, this is, I believe, uh, your first play, at least here in New York, in about 10 years. You talked about going to right. uh, L.A. To, 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 to write for TV and, and movies yeah. and, and obviously have done so. Um, can we expect more plays from you? Was this a, a, a good experience that has won you back to the stage, at least in part? Well, it's interesting. Like, I... I um... I've never quite, I've never completely left the stage. Even when I came out here to LA, I was doing, I did a play out, out here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just finished a new play. It's oh. called, it's also set in the 70s. And it's, it just had its first reading when I was just in New York. And it's called Summer with Diane. So I'm excited to get that on. It's a, it's more comedic and um, a little bit lighter than, and this play is and, and uh, I'm super excited about it so the thing with me in plays is that I don't I write them when I'm inspired too I always feel like the work I do for the theater is held to a higher standard than just about anything else and so I don't take it lightly and I don't really set out to write plays plays usually tap me on the shoulder and let me know that they're they're ready to be written and so um so I'm hoping I, I'm hoping I get to write you know a lot more plays. In the meantime, though, uh, listeners will have a chance to see uh, this one, uh, Downtown yes. Race Riot, which is um, playing in a new group production over at Pershing uh, uh, Square. And um, uh, continued good luck with it. And thank you again for taking the time to talk to us about it. I appreciate it. It's fun. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com. <laughs>